All right, as you're being seated, would you turn to Nehemiah chapter 4? Nehemiah chapter 4. You know, it's very interesting, the music that was sung this morning and even uh, as Wesley was praying, I'm reminded of the fact that our prayer here each morning that we come together is for the Holy Spirit to meet you here. And if you look at this series that we've been involved with over the last several weeks and will continue through the month of February, what you'll find is we're really wanting God to lift the mask off your soul and, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart through God's word. And, and that's our prayer. That's what the praise team prays for on Sunday morning, the greeter team ministry, all those involved. We pray that God would just show up uh, and, and direct your life and bring you encouragement and also bring a challenge to your life. Nehemiah chapter 4. Our series key verse is Romans 8, 37, where it says, We are more than conquerors through him, that being God, who loved us. And I think when we start thinking about issues such as, such as stress and pride and uh, right now we're uh, or we fear, and then right now we're dealing with the whole idea of discouragement, I think many times when it comes to this idea of discouragement, we get lost in the fact that God wants to speak into, into our discouragement. God, God wants to speak those words, whether it's through his word or through the impressions that he gives you or through other people that he sends you away, through a note, through an encouraging word, whatever it may be. But look at the introduction there. While the word discouragement is only found in scripture a few times, there are other words and phrases used to describe probably what we're feeling when we're discouraged, such as weary, faint-hearted, and loss of hope. For some of you here this morning, as we said last week, your, your discouragement is, is, it could even fall into what you could classify as, as despair. And, and I shared some things with you last week about some things that I've personally dealt with over the years, and discouragement is one of those biggies for me. And I think it may be for you too, based on the people that I've talked to about the things that you're dealing with. And so what I want to do, and some of you thought last week, well, you're not being very fair. Last week, you proved to me I was discouraged, but you never told me how to fix it. Well, same back channel, same back time, we're here, okay? <laughs> and so here we are at this time. So let me just give you the context of what's going on. If you know Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah, he's going back to, to, uh, to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city. I've had several people email me, stop me after the service and say, are you promoting the building of walls? I'm not, I promise you. It just happens to be a part of what we've been studying, okay? And, and so it's that whole idea. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, subliminally uh, bring something to the table here. But if you look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, it kind of gives you the condition, what was the setting for what's going on. Verse 6 says, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. The people had a passion for what they were doing is really what it's saying. But then all of a sudden, opposition began to arise. Those who were critical of them, those who said, you know, I'm sure if a fox walks across that wall, it's going to crumble. I'm sure that's going to happen. When the people, when the critics began to understand this is going to happen, they be, then began to turn into uh, to terrorists, basically. And they br were bringing terror to those who were accomplishing what God had called them to accomplish. I think many of us could probably uh, sympathize with what they were going through. You see, obstacles arise in life. 
And many times the things that we're passionate about, when those obstacles, when the critics show up, when we start believing some of the messages about who we are and possibly lose sight of who God is, all of a sudden the passion begins to quiver and then discouragement sets in. Have you ever been in this situation? What happens to us to cause discouragement to set in. I want to quickly review what we covered last week to kind of uh, set up what we're going to be talking about now. But the conditions of discouragement, number one, fatigue. Look at Nehemiah 4 again, verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. They were going night and day. They were going around the clock to try to get this, uh, this uh, project done, to get the walls up. Now, what's interesting about what we find here is that the enemy showed up when they began to be fatigued, when they were tired, when they were growing weary. Now, when we begin to think about the enemy we deal with, Satan himself, he's the same way. The enemy is very strategic when it comes to your life. He knows you. He knows what your weaknesses are. He will pitch his temptations towards your weaknesses. But there's one thing that we know that he's really good at, and that is coming to us when we're tired, when we're fatigued. How do we know that? Because we read the story of Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, when does it say the enemy showed up? When he was physically tired. At the end of 40 days and 40 nights of no drink and not eating, all of a sudden the Bible says, and the enemy shows up, begins to pitch his temptations. And then it says in Luke, after he, he, could, he had no victory there, it says that he waited for the next opportune time. And again, I believe it was a time when the Savior was tired and weary. He does the same thing to us. He does the exact same thing to us. So we see that the conditions of discouragement can be fatigue, but then from there, frustration begins to set in. Most of the time when we are overwhelmed, when fatigue overtakes us, we get frustrated, which continues down the path to discouragement. Verse 10, the, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And then it says, and there's so much rubbish. You, come on, you can almost hear them crying out that they're overwhelmed, that they're frustrated with what they're dealing with. The rubbish was a great source of discouragement to them. They, they were trying to do what they believed God called them to do, but every time they turned around, they were dealing with the rubbish that was there. You know, when it comes to our lives, as I said last week, dealing with rubbish and clutter is part of the human condition, isn't it? How many of you can think of things right now that if they weren't in your life, and maybe you've even considered them clutter or rubbish, if they weren't in your life, well, life would be so much easier. Now, don't be sitting there thinking about your spouse and your family, okay? <laughs> but I, want you to, I do want you to think about the things that we bring into our lives that, that cause these type of things. I mean, rubbish, just think about it, the clutter. They can be good things. There's been times in my life when I was fatigued, when I was frustrated, when I was overwhelmed, and I was overwhelmed by allowing all, sometimes even the good things in my life, spreading myself too thin, trying to make sense out of it all. Good things can be clutter in our lives. Sin has proven at times in my life to be clutter. I mean, think about what sin does. It, it stifles anything God has to, desires to do in your life. I mean, it's basically taking something possibly that he's brought into your life and distorting it in such a way it becomes sin. Some of the greatest gifts God has ever given us, the enemy has distorted 
to make sin many times. And we buy in. And it becomes clutter. It becomes that other thing that we're having to deal with. How about physical clutter? Physical clutter. Uh, things laying around the house. Now, some of you, maybe you're not in tune. Some of you, maybe you don't care. As long as there's a path to get to the bathroom and to the kitchen, you're fine, okay? I don't understand how you live that way, but bless your heart, okay? It, you, <laughs> I would walk into something like that and think, oh, I'm going to die right here, you know? Matter of fact, you see the offering envelopes behind your seat there? Yesterday, when the conference was finishing up, uh, I went around and made sure all of them were straight up and down. There were some ladies standing around, said, here, help me with this. And I handed them some offering envelopes. I said, make sure they're straight up and down. Make sure that the Pleasant City, you can see in the blue line, if you, now before you leave here, make sure that is right, okay? <laughs> I can't even see it, but it gets to me knowing that you're sitting there looking at it, okay? But anyway, the, the goal was to make it all. Clutter is just one of those things, and we have physical clutter. But what about emotional clutter? Some of you are sitting here right now. We've been talking about this on Wednesday nights, and you're worried about something. You, you know what worry is? Emotional clutter. Most of the things we worry about, there's not anything we can do about it. Many times the things that we worry about won't even come to pass many times. And you know what you could classify it as? Emotional clutter. And it's just another thing in your life to distort you, to keep you, and possibly even bring you to the point of discouragement in your life. I mean, look at all these different things. How about this? The conditions of discouragement, fatigue, frustration, failure. It appears that they interpreted her situation of fatigue and frustration as failure. Verse 10 again. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There's so much rubbish that we cannot, we're not able to build the wall. Have you ever got to a point in your life where I can't do this anymore? That's discouragement. I can't do it anymore. Discouragement, look on your outline. I'm going to go through this quickly. Discouragement from failure makes one not only fail, but also makes one feel like a failure. Discouragement from failure causes one to neglect their responsibilities. They just basically walk away. It's kind of where they were. They were at the point where I can't do this anymore. I can't deal with all the clutter. I can't deal with the fact that there's fear and threats around me. Thirdly, discouragement from failure makes one negative and cynical. If you keep looking at what's going on in the story, you'll look in verse 11 that fear, and that's another condition of discouragement, fear began to set in. You see, discouragement literally means deprived of courage. It, it literally means the, the inability to go on, the strength to continue. And that's what we're reading here. And they're at this point in verse 11, it says, and our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. We're gonna stop this one way or another. You see, when discouragement is full grown, it becomes fear to the point that it paralyzes us. It causes things to stop. And then of course, last week I brought up the idea External, external pressure amplifies internal weakness. Have you, ever, have you ever observed someone and they just couldn't quite get over the hump and you, you sat there and you thought, you know, they really don't have the, the fortitude, the inner fortitude to get past it. 
you know, it's, it's interesting when you watch children. Uh, I don't know what it is, but and you, you, I hadn't told a grandparent story in a long time, okay? <laughs> but it is interesting to watch the different children. And, and there's four boys that we have the privilege to watch up close. And it is amazing how one of them, you, you can tell they have this internal energy. They have this internal strength. And if they can't do anything, they just keep trying until they do. Even to the point of tears where, where they just, they want so bad to do what they want to do, whether it's crawling up on a couch or whatever. And it's, just, it's kind of fun to watch them struggle. No, I'm just kidding. But it is to watch them and see their little personality. And then you have those kids that come to something. And I think my daughter was a lot like this. She would just walk up if she, did, if she couldn't do it. She'd just turn around and go try something else, you know. But it's something about that internal fortitude. For many, as we get older, the eternal fortitude that we're dealing with is the inner strength that we find in Christ through the Holy Spirit. That is something that is developed through us in such a way that we can rise to the occasions of those things the enemy pitches towards us. Those challenges God brings into our life. That fortitude, that, that inner strength that the Holy Spirit brings. But then there's also even our own integrity. It's, it's those ideas of, of things that we have convictions about. It's about things that we are passionate about. And hopefully those are things that are in line with what God desires for us. But it's those things that causes us to stand up and, and, and allow the strength that's within us to match the strength that's coming at us. You remember when we were talking about King David last week? King David was one of those who had the internal fortitude. He, he had a walk with God Few of us could even imagine. He wrote two-thirds of the Psalms. He, he lets us into the heart of the matter of what he's dealing with, when he sinned, when he did these different things, when the enemy was after him, the, his thought processes and how God came through. And all of a sudden, he's faced with this giant. Do you remember the story? Of course you do. It's one of our favorite stories in the Old Testament. He takes out the giant. The inner strength matched what was before him. But it wasn't long, was it? until that strength began to fail. It wasn't long before all of a sudden we read, if you read the scripture carefully, you're fine. Before his sin with Bathsheba, David, listen, became discouraged. Look at how it's written. You'll see what I'm talking about. His inner strength began to fall, fail. And all of a sudden, he, he couldn't match what was before him, the temptation that was before him. And he crashed and burned. We know the story. For many of us, it breaks our heart because we see that story being played out in many people's lives. Many families that are touched by this story. It's hard to believe that one man had such internal strength to do what he was able to do with Goliath and, and even Saul who was chasing him. And all of a sudden, later in life, he falls. It's hard to watch. But this is where things begin to happen in our lives. So what's the cure for this? How do I deal with my discouragement? Well, the first thing we see there is, is really what Nehemiah kind of led them to do. L let me tell you, what we're about to read tells us and shows us why Nehemiah was such a great leader. Okay, And that's the reason we refer to him when we talk about great leadership. The first thing he had them do was cry out to God for perspective. You know, Jesus did the same thing. If you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, what do you, what do you have there? 
You have Jesus crying out to God. There's something that he's about to take on. It was pretty big, the sin of the world. He knew he was going to take that on, but it didn't stop there. He knew he would have to take on the wrath of God. Listen, on our behalf. All that was the stage it was set just before the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the garden, he was dealing with all that. And, and, and I've, listen, when you read the account, you can almost hear the despair. Listen, discouragement and despair is not necessarily the sin, but it can become the sin. For Jesus himself, he lived the perfect life and, and his discouragement and, and his despair turned into an inner strength that God gave him when he stood up and he said, not my will, but your will. I'll do exactly what you want me to do. God gave him that strength. God wants to do the same thing in our lives. But you see, we buy into the wrong messages. We turn to the wrong antidotes. We look to the world. We, we think, okay, if we can just have enough distraction in our life, it, we won't think about it anymore. And that's where we get in trouble. It's where David got in trouble. The Bible says, it says it like this with David. And when the kings would go out for, to war, it says, when that typically happened, when David fell into lust for Bathsheba, let me tell you what was going on. When the kings go off to war, and then it says, the Bible quickly says, David didn't lead his army. He, he stayed in the palace. There was something that was different about what David was doing. And if you read between the lines, David was very discouraged. He didn't go out anymore. He didn't go out anymore. And all of a sudden, he began to look for what I think were distractions. And he went up on top of the roof too many times. And that distraction became lust. And it began to break him down. He didn't cry out to God anymore. You see, there was a time when David would cry out to God. How do we know that? We read the Psalms cried out to God. You know, the next time we'll find him crying out to God after his sin, after that failure in his life, he begins to cry out to God in Psalm 51. He's like, God, I'm so sick and tired of this. I'm so sick and tired of what I've invited into my life. It's, it's keeping me up. It's eating me alive. If you read the text, you'll see it. He's literally saying it's eating me alive. I have no joy. I have no peace. The thing that I enjoyed most with you is gone. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Bring it all back, God. I mean, did he get that right? He got that right. But it came at a high price. Discouragement, as I said, is not the sin. However, how we deal with discouragement may lead to sin. Nehemiah 4, look at verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to whom? Our God. It doesn't say a God. It says our God. There was a personal thing there. There was a God that they knew they could count on because they said this was our type of God that we could count on. And he, he directs them there. And because of them, the enemy, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There's so much rubbish. We're not able to build the wall. But get, look at what Nehemiah did. He turned them to the sight of God. Carried it first to God. 
They believed. I believe these people believed. They were placed there by God. But then when the criticism and the, the fear began to sink in to tear down the work, Nehemiah had to go and he said, okay, now, listen, we're at the end of ourselves. We got to acknowledge that. When we get to the end of ourselves, what are we going to do? Are we going to quit? Are we going to look for distractions to keep us from? No, let's cry out to God. He's the only one that can fix this. When you were in a place of fear and discouragement, and I challenged you with this last week, if you catch anything, you got to catch this because this is another place the enemy wreaks havoc in our lives. Listen to this. When you're in a place of fear and discouragement, reality tests your perceptions. Test your perceptions. Anyone who is feeling discouraged will have his or her view of things colored by emotion. And here's what you got to keep in mind. Let facts or let truth shape your feelings rather than letting your feelings distort the facts or distort the truth. But what do we do? We get fatigued, we get tired, we get discouraged. We begin to make bad decisions and you know what we, know what we literally do? We begin to follow our emotions, our feelings. Every time I've done that in my life, I've gotten in trouble. You got to turn to the truth. What's the truth? The truth is who God is. The truth is who I am. And, and, and to look and see the great disconnect and, and that whole idea of what God has done on our behalf and what he wants to bring to the table. But all of a sudden, here's where we go. I knew this was a bad idea. You ever thought that after you were in the middle of something? Could have been something God's given you. I knew this was a bad idea. I'm a failure. Everyone is against me. Everybody hates me. Now, is that the truth completely? No. But the enemy, he loves to tap into the emotions. He loves to tap into the fears and the feelings and all those things that try to bring us down. Does anyone even care? Am I the only one who cares? Am I in this by myself? When the ruling over the last couple of weeks came down in New York about babies, did that not just break your heart? I'm not so sure I, I've been more discouraged than when that news came. I, I just could not believe what I was hearing. I mean, it was almost like, are you kidding me? We've turned to this? We're killing babies? Are you? And people are applauding and celebrating and turning light certain colors to not so. I just could not believe. And, and I was sitting there, and I was like, are you kidding me? It's very discouraging for me. And I've heard from you it was. But we still got to realize God is God. We still got to realize that he's going to work through this. We still got to realize that he's in charge. Elijah. I love Elijah. First of all, for his courage. Elijah was a bold prophet of God. He stood before the Baal prophets, 450 of them, the best we can count. He stands before them, and all of a sudden, uh, they're, they're trying everything to do to, to get their gods to pay attention. But Elijah walks up knowing the true God. He walks up on the scene, and all of a sudden, God shows up. And what's amazing about that is not long after that, very shortly after that, 
Let's read what Elijah says. Look here on the screen. Elijah said this. I've been working my heart out here. <laughs> Basically, I put everything I've had into it. I put my passion for the God of the angel army, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, God, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Have we not seen a picture of discouragement here? Now, was he the only one left? Uh-uh. Guess who had to remind him he wasn't the only one left? God. He was still open to what God had to say about his situation. The problem with many of us, when we get discouraged, here, here's, and I'm going to get this a little bit later. When you get discouraged or when someone lets you down, what's your nat natural in inclination? Now, some of you might jump them. I get that. I'm not that kind of person. I pout. I'm pretty good at pouting. Ask my wife. I am. I, I, she interprets it as being passive aggressive. I'm just pouting. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> but, but it's really interesting when you look at, at Elijah, this strong man of God. I mean, he, the epitome of just seeing God show up. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 19, just eight verses later, God then said this. Listen, listen to this. Hey, by the way, Elijah, I'm preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed to the God of Baal, the mouths that have, haven't kissed his image. There's 7,000 out there just like you. You're not by yourself. It's amazing when we begin to look around this world and we see decisions that are being made and we hear the news that we're receiving in our country and it's like, it saddens us. It breeds something of discouragement. We begin to wonder, or is, there, is anybody really making sense out there? And then we realize, no, there's others. And it encourages my heart when we're talking about it to see your head going, yeah, I felt the same way. It encourages my heart. I just don't get it. Prayer and God's truth, listen, gives us proper perspective. It shows us who we truly are and it shows God who he truly is. And boy, when you've really truly met with God in prayer, let me just tell you, you'll come to realize both of those truths, who God is and who you truly are. Here we go, God, the cure for discouragement, cry out to God for perspective. Number two, continue in the work. So many times when we are discouraged, we become quitters. We, we try one time. We may try twice. We may even go a third time. And all of a sudden, we just shut it down. What's the use? You know what that reveals to me? You know what it reveals to me, by, to me when I start doing that? It reveals that I don't have internal fortitude. Sometimes it reveals I don't have the integrity to get it done. Sometimes it, really, it shows me I don't have the faith to know that God can do it through me. And that's where many of us are. So what do you do when you get discouraged? As I said, some of us pout. Some of us eat, don't we? Comfort food, you ever heard of that? How about some of us escape? And boy, our escapes can cost us much. Sometimes we quit. Sometimes we listen to country music and just get all down in the dumps, don't we? In spite of all the terrorism and all that was going on, Nehemiah led the people forward. 
Can you imagine the strength this man must have had? Can you imagine his leadership ability to be able to take people who were discouraged, who were ready to quit, to continue the work? Boy, what a leader he must have been. And it says in Nehemiah chapter four, verse 13, it says this, therefore, therefore means this, in light of everything that's just been said, therefore, and here's what you need to understand. That word therefore it means that he's finding a solution to the obstacle so that they may continue. That's what this bridge of therefore means. He says, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, with their spears, and their bows. Now, here's what, here's what I'm convinced happened with Nehemiah. I believe, boy, he meant business when he cried out to God. I think God gave him the plan. Now you say, well, how did you know that? Because I've been there personally, leading this church, believing, you know, at times, God, I don't know where to turn next. I don't know. The only thing, only thing I know is you called me here. I, I, I know that, it is, boy, some of these things are not going to be easy, but I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. It gives you a plan. I, I've personally experienced it. I've personally experienced in my own personal walk. Uh, the Bible tells me that the, the, the people of Hebrews 11, same thing happened with them. The Bible tells me that you can expect that. Cry out to God. Quit pouting. Some of you have been pouting for 20 years. It's time to move on. Inactivity and focus on oneself breeds pity and discouragement. The people that I know are in that point, they take on a victim mentality. Poor me. And for some of them, it happened 30 years ago. And they haven't taken another step. That's so sad. I've been there. I, I've been there. I, I, I've had seasons of my life where everything just seemed to stop. But you know what I found out? God doesn't work through you when you do that. He works in you. How many of you have ever been disciplined by God? <laughs> he'll, come, he'll, he'll, he'll move you. <laughs> the best therapy for overcoming discouragement is to keep moving forward. Do what God has called you to do. Nehemiah took his enemies, the, the, the work, uh, told his enemies that the work is too great for him to stop because you know what the enemy was trying to do? Hey, Nehemiah, come down here. Let's talk about this. The problem with many of us is we negotiate with the enemy. You know what the Bible tells us to do with the enemy? Don't listen to him. Forsake him. Turn to God. And the Bible says if we do it all right, listen, listen to what the Bible says. He'll flee. <laughs> He'll flee. My voice is still changing every day. Okay, so... <laughs> Do what God's called you to do. Nehemiah told the enemies, the work is too great. There's something God's given me in my life and you're not gonna bring me as discouragement. You're not gonna be a critic that I'm gonna listen to. Don't let the enemy call you down. Ignore the critic. If God's called you to do something, ignore the critic. Now, where can the critic come from? The critic could be the enemy himself. You ever, you ever felt that? 
The enemy could be others. Could be your own family. But let me tell you the biggest critic that we listen to ourselves. And it sounds like this. I can't do it anymore. I don't think God really cares anymore. I'm the only one. So what does it matter? Sometimes we are our worst critic. The cure for discouragement, cry out to God for perspective, continue in the work. Number three, concentrate on the big picture. The people were, listen, the people were strung out along the wall. If you read the account, you'll see it. Many of them were working in isolation, okay? Many lost their awareness of what was going on with the rest of the project. Nehemiah then came up with a system of communication between them. Then they saw their section of the wall in relation to the whole project, so Nehemiah, being the great leader that he is, reminded them of the big picture. We're here to build walls. We're, healed the, we're here to build a future for what's coming next. Do it for your families. Do it for your children. Do it for your children's children. That's the language he used. When you're discouraged, listen, take a step back from the work. Get a glimpse of what God is doing in and through it. And that could be even building the kingdom. We need to realize that there is something that we are a part of that's bigger than we are. And we have the privilege to be a part of it. And some of you in this room, you've caught on to that. Nehemiah chapter four, verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that we saw the big picture, that our strength was being renewed, that our passion was being restored, that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. We continued the work. Nehemiah renewed their sense of purpose. He's basically, if you read the context of what he's saying, he's basically saying, remember those who are coming behind us. We're not just doing this for ourselves. We're doing it for those who are coming behind us. I, I, I want to kind of get a little personal with you here. I talk to pastors a lot. Matter of fact, we've had some young men that have left this place and gone to be pastors in other places. And occasionally I get to meet with some of them and it breaks my heart to see some of the challenges that they're up against. Challenges that I've never, had, I've never faced here at this church. And, and it's almost like sometimes I just feel so unworthy to, to even be able to speak into their life by what they're going through because I haven't had the challenge like they've had. You know what I'm saying? We've had the obstacles. We've had things we've had to overcome. We, we've had those times where we had to sit down and say, hey, here's the big picture. Here's what we're looking at. This is what we believe God wants to bless. And y'all, I, I, it's been an honor to pastor this church. It really has. It has been a great honor because God has allowed me to to. to lead a, a group of people, listen, that's not in it just for themselves. I can't tell you how many times I talk to pastors who wonder if the church doors of the church they're pastoring will be open in 10 years. 
20 years. They're not sure. The church is not willing to, to move. They're not willing to move in a direction that will ensure they have a future ministry in their community. And one thing that I'm proud of that we have accomplished that God has shown us is the fact that we are, I believe we're setting ourselves up to be here for a long time. That we will still be a light to this community. And it's because we've made some of the hard choices. We've continued the work in the face of opposition at times. And we're doing what God's called us to do. And that's the reason 101 people showed up yesterday. Most of them young families seeking direction as to what God would have them be as parents. That's not possible in most churches. They can't reach that. But we've made certain things. We've looked at things carefully as a church family and we've said this, we need, we need to reach young people. They need our help. They need the God that we love. And I'm proud of the fact I get to pastor a church like that. Why? Because we ask God for his perspective. Because we continue to work. Because we focus on the big picture. What about you? Your marriage. What kind of investments are you making? The marriage you have. I mean, some of you, some of you in this room have been married a long time. And it's really cool to see how God's blessed you. There's generations that are following. And God's doing a great work. How about parenting? I mean, all these... What do we do? Ask for God for perspective. That's prayer. Continue the work. Focus on the big picture. Another cure for discouragement. I got to hurry. Someone else, carry someone else's burden. The problem with most of us in a, with a victim mentality, the problem with most of us in our self-pity is the fact we don't look out there and see other people are struggling too. And God sometimes will bring us to them. In verse 16 of chapter four, it says basically that everybody joined together. They built a community network of people in which they ministered to one another. They looked after one another. They began to carry each other's burdens and that's what we have to do. And that's what God's called us to. Lastly, the cure for discouragement, claim the promises. Listen, in the midst of despair, sometimes the only thing we have to hold on to is God's word and his promises. Whether you're, you're uh, uh, raising a wayward child, whether it's breaking your heart over a grandchild that's wayward, whether it's you just wonder if your marriage is going to survive, whatever it may be, sometimes that's the only thing we can hold on to. Verse 20, look at what it says. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, and then what does it say? Our God will fight for us. We're not in this by ourselves. God's right there. He wants to do a work in and through us. Nehemiah took those who were discouraged back to the word of God to discover who he was, his character, to discover his promises for them. It's exactly where he took them. So here's the application this morning. Do you detect discouragement in your life? Can you, do you know where the source of it is? I think some of us have been discouraged so long, we don't even know where it comes from. Have you ever sat around the house and, and counted your blessings and yet still wondered why you felt discouraged? I have. I have. I've sat there and I'm like, why do I feel so discouraged? I mean, look at how God's blessed and done this and done that. And what in the world do I, what do I have a reason to be discouraged about? Sometimes we don't even know it's there. But that whole idea... 
the fatigue, the frustration, the fact we're overwhelmed at times, the failure, the fear, all these things can be used to detect our discouragement. But have, the, have you considered the cure for discouragement found in God's word? Look here, here's a review. Cry out to God for perspective. Get a big picture. See what God sees about your situation. Quit believing lies about yourself. You're not a failure. You can do it. If he's put you onto it, He'll strengthen you. He'll give you what you need. Thirdly, identify the rubbish in your life. It can be physical rubbish. It can be emotional rubbish. It can be sin. It can be good things that you've cluttered your life with. Evaluate your situation, not by feelings, but by fact. Not by feelings, but by truth. And then lastly, claim God's promises. This is not a health and wealth claim your promises, but there are some promises in God's word that are clear for us. Look, look at two of them here. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that he who's begun a good work in you, he'll complete it. He'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until you see him face to face. That work's gonna continue until you see him. Here's another one, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, while doing what we're called to do. For in due season, we will reap. Now, here's the key, if. You see that word if? Here it is. If we do not lose heart. Losing heart means becoming discouraged to the point of not continuing the work. Losing heart means we're weary to the point that we lose all hope. What does he say? He says in due season, if we continue, if we do what he's called us to do, if we stick to it when it is as tough as it gets, some of you have been in marriages, I don't know how you made it with each other. Some of you will get that later. <laughs> but here you are. You never thought you could see that wayward child Turn back to God. But you persisted even when it seemed hopeless. And you prayed. And the only thing you need to do is to lift that name up to him or that child up to him. Breaking the cycle of discouragement. Here it is. Discouragement plus inaction plus lack of experience. Listen, here's, what's the, here's the problem. Here's the reason you don't, you don't learn anything. Here's the reason you, you need to stop pouting. When you begin to quit working, you begin, to, you begin to not see the reality of God working on your behalf and working in your life. You, you know that, right? And you're not going to gain wisdom from that. You're not going to gain discernment. Let me tell you, we live in a world right now who is a world right now that is void of common wisdom and discernment. But we got to continue. Discouragement plus inaction plus lack of experience plus ignorance equals increased discouragement. However, replace this with discouragement plus action, continuing the work, plus experience, seeing what God's capable of doing in and through you, plus the wisdom that you gain through that, God's truth, God's promises equals dis decreased discouragement and increased victory. I want to close with this. I started last week, I shared a little personal note about where God had brought me one evening when I just, I, I've never had despair like I dealt with when I was younger. 
And it was that night, and many of you remember the story, I felt like something just drove me to my knees. And, <laughs> and um, I didn't care anymore. Didn't care. You ever been there? I didn't care. I'm so discouraged. My discouragement led to despair like I've never known it on that night. And God showed up. I cried out and he showed up. You know what came of that later? A little bit later, uh, and it's funny, I didn't think of this until this week. Because I, I didn't intend to share that with you last week. You, you ever talk or talk to someone and it's like, Spirit said, we're going to talk about this. That's the way it was last week. And this week, I was, I was reminded of the story, and I just kept dwelling on it. I was like, man, I'm so glad. Do you realize it wasn't too many days later that I saw some amazing things happen in my life? And, and I was so pleased. And last week, when I look back on what I could have done that evening, I looked back this past week, and I thought, none of this would be going on in my life if I had ended it. And I came to realize, no matter how bad it gets, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. I don't know where you are. You may, be, you may have just simple discouragement in your life and, and it weighs heavy on you and maybe it comes from a form of worry or whatever it may be, but you just feel discouraged. I get that. I've been there for seasons of my life. But maybe there's some of you who are in despair. God can rescue you out of that. But you got to quit doing what you've been doing. You got to quit believing the lies. You got to start claiming the promises. You say, I'm sure it's harder than that. Not really. Cry out. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. We're not going to have a singing invitation. But I just want to ask you, everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes. I, I, right now, what I want you to do is if you're dealing with discouragement and despair right now in your life, I want to pray for you. I, I want to ask you just to raise your hand real quick, okay? You, you're dealing with it right now. I see, I mean, hands are all over the place. And you can put them down. I'm not sure what your source is. But I'm telling you, the enemy is not very creative at times. <laughs> And I guarantee you the root cause of your discouragement is exactly what the person beside you who lifted their hand is. Not believing who you are in Christ and believing the lies and not knowing the promises. Get back to that. Start there. I want the ushers come forward. Father, we just come to you now. We just thank you for what you've done here this morning. And Lord, I know you spoke to hearts. I look around this room and I, I just felt a connection with your people that I haven't felt in a long time. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has moved in our midst, has worked in such a way that, that when we look down the road or when we come to this point in our life later, that we can look back and say, you know something? God showed up. God gave me something that day. And that, Lord, it would be something that would be life-changing, that it would be transformative in our lives. Father, give us that, Father, we pray.
And Lord, I pray and thank you for the ability to give to your work, to take a simple message like we've had here this morning, to, to share it with those in our world, whether it's sending missionaries out like we already have so many out there right now, those who are just returning and all that. Father, we just thank you for the privilege to be a part of a church that believes in getting this truth out to the nations. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.